Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. For today's episode, my guests and I are tackling two entries in the Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead cinematic universe with their lo-fi cosmic horror films Resolution and The Endless. First up is 2012's Resolution, which is currently streaming on Prime Video and Tubi TV, which sees Michael attempting to help his estranged friend Chris kick his meth addiction by imprisoning him in a remote cabin. Though it doesn't take long into this forced rehab before strange, supernatural events begin occurring. And then we'll dive into 2017's The Endless, which is currently streaming on Netflix, which is actually set within the same cinematic universe as Resolution focusing on two brothers, Justin and Aaron Smith, played by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, returning to a UFO death cult they escaped from as kids to try to find some semblance of closure. But shortly after their arrival, they encounter events which defy reality. And joining me to break down these cosmic horrors is my pal, concept artist Matt Jordan. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today about uh, Resolution and The Endless. But uh, before we kind of dive into today's movies, a fun sort of icebreaker that I like to do with people is kind of ask the guests, what was the first horror film that you remember having a profound effect on you, uh, for uh, better or worse? Yeah, so I've I've always had a very specific answer for this one. It's a uh, weird little sci-fi horror movie called Superman 4. (laughs) I, uh, I saw this when I was a really little kid on like... I don't know, like, it was on TV, like on USA or something. And I was just catching it from the middle of the movie. There's this scene where a woman is like sucked into a piece of machinery and, and like pressed into the walls and forcibly turned into a cyborg. Oh, geez. And it's it's bizarre. It's like, it, like in my, in my child mind, this scene goes on for like two minutes or something. And of course I've since like looked it up on YouTube. It's like 30 seconds and it's cheesy as hell, but <laughs> I know, I just remember like her being like kind of like soldered onto by this machine, turned into a cyborg, she's screaming in pain, and then it turns into this warbled mechanical sound. And then she walks out as this dead-eyed cyborg. And uh, I think that's where my fascination with the sci-fi horror started. Yeah, no, I, I've found that um, in kind of like revisiting childhood movies, my first experience with like a horror moment was not even necessarily a horror movie. It was kind of like these very profoundly shocking moments in probably sci-fi movies, just like uh, you had mentioned. It was like, mm-hmm. with me, it was like E.T. in the scene at the end where um, the oh. government kind of like cordons off the house and then Elliot opens up the door and there's just a guy in a full kind of almost hazmat suit. And it was one of those things yeah. where it's like, it's so shocking and it's so different than the rest of that movie that it is really horrifying in kind of a traumatizing way for uh, for my, my, I don't know, six or seven year old brain. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, that whole intro of uh, E.T. is pretty terrifying on its own. Like that's there's a weird uh, aura of menace to that whole movie that I, I remember like being really freaked out as uh, as a little kid. And that's one of the things about horror that I love in revisiting it a lot now. Like the older I get and the more movies I'm watching and all these different things, is that horror. There are these like little horror adjacent moments that are really ingrained in my brain, and I'm sure same with you from a childhood. But then you kind of like are looking to chase those moments and that general kind of weirdness in the movies mm-hmm. that you're kind of curating for yourself all throughout life and how. I don't know, I always feel like that's that's the kind of like the hooks that got into me as a kid where I'm just like, now I have to find something that is equally weird or equally thrilling or terrifying or uh, just like chasing that feeling again, whether it be a straight up horror movie or a horror sci-fi movie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to some degree, like a, a big part of my interest in movies is just trying to find something that like that matches Alien, you know, seeing that for the first time. I haven't found it yet, but... <laughs> I was going to say the bar was set pretty high by Alien and uh, yeah, really trying to uh, find something that's even comes close to that is uh, not easy. But uh, <laughs> at least that movie instilled in both of us a, a lifelong love of horror and sci-fi and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of a Pandora's box. Yeah. And I think it's a great film that you two great films that you picked for us to talk about today and kind of diving into this uh, Benson and Moorhead cinematic universe with uh, Resolution and The Endless. Um, but before we even like break down each of the individual films, I'm curious what you think about kind of the Benson and Moorhead's kind of lo-fi approach to filmmaking. I mean, these are two really kind of high concept movies that the budget is from the opening moments of resolution. You can tell that this is very low budget and this, to a certain extent, sure. the same with the endless. But 
I'm interested if you think that in spite of kind of their uh, lo-fi approach and low-budget filmmaking, did they capitalize on sort of their vision of horror? Were they able to kind of convey that in an effective way, despite the limitations? Well, so um, this is going to sound kind of damning at first, but I actually mean it as a compliment. I think in uh, both of their movies, they're aiming a little bit higher than what they can hit. You know, their, their ambition exceeds their reach a little bit. And uh, the one problem that has for me is that I don't find either of these movies actually very scary in a visceral way. But they both left me in different ways with kind of like a more existential fear. And especially uh, Resolution in some ways feels scarier to me than The Endless. And the weird thing about like watching them back to back, like you're talking about, is The Endless actually makes Resolution a much more haunting movie in hindsight. Like the, the way that it built on that was kind of fascinating. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that yeah, because you and I had both seen The Endless before we had seen Resolution, and then we would go mm-hmm. back and watch Resolution, and then like last night I watched them both uh, back to back. And I think watching the films together definitely gives me, or within like a short span of time between viewings, it definitely makes you appreciate Resolution a lot more, I found. And kind of like Absolutely. getting to see, you have a little bit more closure to a certain extent, because Resolution ends kind of very abruptly. and. Uh, I love the haunting ending of that, which we'll get into, but I think really they are this fantastic sort of the best version of a independent film almost that you could kind of hope for. Like they're aware of their budget and things like that, but it doesn't feel like they're ever kind of like they're dumbing things down to appease that budget. Like I have a buddy that works in film and one of the things that he told me when I was like, I mentioned once or something that I was like, oh, I'd like to write a screenplay, but it's like writing it within reason of like, any sort of budget I could ever have for that. And he was like, you never sure, write. Managing expectations. Yeah, managing expectations. He's like, you always write with your full vision in mind and you only compromise once it comes to actually making the thing. And I feel that with Resolution and Endless especially, like they write for a much bigger movie than they're actually able to pull off in a certain extent. Yeah. But it just, it works so well, uh, especially piggybacking off of one another. Yeah, and I'm actually, uh, you can almost see where they would have been tempted to reel in what they were trying to accomplish, and I'm kind of glad that they didn't. You know, they, they kind of shoot for the stars. And I think that pays off in a way that it makes both of them these really, these character-driven sort of cosmic horror films that it feels like they're prefacing it with, I'm going to focus on the characters in this, and then we're going to build some scares and atmosphere and mood around that. But the reason why the films, even if they're not like traditionally scary, I still feel that they're very kind of haunting in a way that because of what is happening to these people that we actually end up giving a shit about. They're not just random characters or uh, the characters don't feel sort of auxiliary to what is actually happening. It's these are people we're getting to know and these things that are happening to them really, uh, it really makes you feel for them in a way that is uh, kind of emotionally draining by the end of both films. Yeah, and two things really come together there, where first off, like you said, they have the, the great writing just across the board, like these characters feel very well developed and realized, and that extends to the side characters as well, you know, the background characters, who are also played way better than I would have expected. Like, a lot of times that's that's something where you have to kind of use your imagination in, uh, in films below a certain budget, is like, okay, you know, this, this character could have been a lot more compelling if they were able to hire a, uh, you know, someone, someone like a little bit more professional. Here, these are a lot of actors I've never seen before, and they're all fantastic. Like, they feel so natural in both movies. Absolutely, and I I definitely agree that even for some characters that don't have a massive impact on the story, I feel like everybody is memorable to the certain degree that their character actually requires, right? I mean, whether it's resolution when you have the three um, locals that are essentially like renting out the place to them. Those characters don't have a lot of dialogue and they're only in a couple minutes of the movie. They're probably in like five minutes total of the movie or mm-hmm. something, but I feel like they nail those performances so well and it feels so authentic to the yeah. purpose of those. And clearly those guys are like, none of those guys were big actors, especially the lead guy that does most of the talking and the negotiating with Michael. But I mean, it's just interesting how no matter how big a specific role is, everybody facilitates it exactly the way that they should. And to a degree where it does surprise you after you finish the movie, you're like, wow, those were a lot more memorable and uh, remarkable performances than you might anticipate from a film that is clearly so low budget. And then again, it kind of speaks to probably just the strength of the writing as a whole for both films. Yeah, definitely. It um, it feels like their place in the world has been very well considered. You know, it feels like they exist outside of the parts that, you know, where they're on screen for. But uh, in kind of getting into Resolution, the first film, 
this was directed by Benson and Moorhead, but it was written, uh, written by Moorhead himself. Um, and like I said, this is probably like the best version of a low-budget movie you could hope for, right? It's such a simplistic premise. It's essentially, it's two guys out in the woods in a cabin. And it doesn't get more simplistic than that, but at the same time, it's so multi-layered in what it's doing, right? It's part character-driven relationship. It's between Michael and Chris, these two estranged friends, and Michael is uh, imprisoning Chris because he's trying to help him kick a drug addiction. And it's there's like a lot of black comedy in this. There's a lot of kind of just this existential dread, and it bleeds more into the supernatural, but it really is a film that is so multi-layered that initially you're like, the first 10 or 15 minutes of the film, you're like, this is a very strange kind of like backwoods crime movie. And then the ways in which they're able to make it more fleshed out into different avenues, like even on a rewatch for me, this film is surprising in the kind of narrative directions it takes to a degree that it's entertaining at every step, even if you can't necessarily see where it's heading all the time. Yeah, definitely. It actually, it feels to me like it could have been an interesting, like, like even without the horror element to it, it could have been like a good black box theater kind of play, you know, just the, the play between these two characters like stuck in the room. And it's it's kind of wild to me that, you know, I was reading about Resolution afterwards that the supernatural horror element was how the movie was conceived. Like that's what the movie was about in the first place. The element of having, you know, a friend like chain his other friend to a wall to try to kick drugs, that came in later as a reason to kind of keep them in the same place for seven days. And it feels like the movie is so structured around that. And that offers so much, like that gives such an interesting dynamic to their relationship where, you know, as one character is going through withdrawal, he's getting angry or he's trying to manipulate the other guy, trick him into letting him go. And then you sort of see the relationship kind of come back, but but it's, it's always in kind of a combative, like a bickering kind of way. You know, there's actually even a great moment when you see them again in The Endless where they're, you know, they're bitching at each other like an old married couple, but then like one of them actually makes the other guy laugh. I think he calls them like a, like a bent over James Bond or something, like James Bond with back problems. And yeah, and he's trying to fight, but he actually laughs at it. It's it, like, it felt like these guys have really known each other forever. It feels like they've been stuck in that loop forever, right? <laughs> yeah, which, you know, the endless makes that situation a lot more harrowing. Yeah, and I think that what makes Resolution work so well in the predicament they find themselves in in the whole scenario is the amount of time that's dedicated to that friendship and that relationship. And it feels mm -hmm. fleshed out and it feels like a focal point in a way that, again, you care about more about what is happening, right? I think the supernatural stuff is introduced very methodically and very slowly, I think, especially in Resolution. Um, not so much in The Endless. I think they get to that a bit uh, quicker. But the amount of time that's spent kind of developing their back and forth and sort of just their uh, their mannerisms and picking up a friendship that's clearly not been uh, as strong as it once was for many years. And just seeing that, it really humanizes these two characters in a way that it makes it more than just two guys in a cabin in the middle of the woods by themselves. It, it's Now it's two friends in a cabin in the woods by themselves, which ultimately, it makes their relationship more complicated, but the ways in which they're able to explore the relationship, but also that humor and that kind of like married couple, uh, old married couple dich uh, dichotomy between the two of them, like that makes for a lot of fun and dark conversations between them, which is uh, just as entertaining as some of the supernatural stuff. Yeah, and like you said, it makes you care about them a lot more, which I, I think is part of why, uh, I, I think if they're, if they're trying to be horror movies, Resolution is a little bit more successful on that front, you know, even with that much smaller budget because it really does spend so much time with the characters. Like it, it kind of lulls you into a false sense of security. And then when you get the horror moments, there are probably only maybe, what, I, I, 10 minutes out of the whole movie to actually devote into that. Like they're they're really sparse, but they're much more effective. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, again, like this, the quote unquote scares that are in the movie, they're very reminiscent of like the low budget nature of the movie, but at the same time, it doesn't matter because they're so effectively kind of just deployed throughout the film. And I think that a big part of that is that it's very gradual in kind of like our understanding of the world that they're in and their understanding of it. It's all built around that in a way where, yeah, the big reveal at the end of the film is of course the probably the biggest moment and the biggest scare of the film, but it could have been so easy for them to try to introduce that so much earlier. And the fact that they have so mm -hmm. much restraint and not, and kind of leading us along on this kind of uh, giving us little like breadcrumbs about the area and what is actually happening behind the scenes, I feel is just, it's sold so well because of how it's paced and how it's 
stretched out throughout the entire film. And for a 90 minute movie, I found that resolution feels very brisk. And yet, had it been yeah. even a minute longer, somehow I feel like it would have potentially like thrown off the entire pacing of the film and just the uh, the world building in that sense and kind of like revealing the big uh, the big sort of like master plan going on behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think it's uh, it's extremely well paced you know, for what it is. And I love that sort of, again, coming back to sort of the limitations and yet they're able to make it very creepy. I just love that it's within reason in terms of what they're capable of doing. Like it's, I keep referring to the film as being overly simplistic, but it's the best version of a simple film. I mean, the moment when you realize that Chris is not the one that sent Michael the videotape of him being high out in the woods shooting guns and stuff. And he's like, what are you talking about? I didn't send you anything. That's such a simple moment and such a simple scene to play out. But I feel the moment is earned so well because of the atmosphere that they're able to kind of highlight on the fact that we haven't been getting beaten over the head with, hey, something seriously supernatural and messed up is happening here. It Up until that point, it hasn't been super overt, right? I mean, in revisiting the film and after watching The Endless, you understand more that the supernatural force has always been there through like the different lens flares and the camera shifting it periodically. And so you know that more going into it, and yet they don't even force that, right? There's probably three moments where you have that overt lens flare, but it's only for a second or, a, yeah, it doesn't, they don't overuse it to the degree that it kind of waters down the film in any way. Yeah, and one thing that, uh, one way that works really well for me with both of these movies is uh, the characters are always extremely grounded about what's happening. Like, I think uh, particularly in The Endless, they really resist what a lot of movies I think would do in, in terms of trying to make everything feel a little bit more mystical or they're trying to very vaguely describe what's going on. It's like, no, these characters, they're, they figure out that something supernatural is happening or something that they can't explain. And they kind of talk through it as people really would who are dealing with that. It's like, okay, we can accept this crazy situation is happening. What are the implications of this? You know, what do we actually do about this? And that, uh, that brings me like, completely into into what they're experiencing you know I, I don't i don't feel like they're making uh you know horror movie character decisions just to keep the plot going right yeah it feels these are two very uh rationally written films with characters that are very rational yeah. to what's happening and you're right it, it never breaks out into hysterics or you never kind of have this sort of just pushing along this sort of uh horror blueprint as it were with like how people are going to react to things oh we have to have this guy overreact to force a situation to a certain extent even in um the endless like when justin basically gets kicked out of the cult like well for a second time he's asked to leave basically and then that's how we discover the time loop but we don't get this sort of played out shouting match between people and this sort of uh oh yeah the traditional route that you might go where you have just character shouting going into chaos somebody hits somebody and then you're forced to kind of separate yourself from the group right it more is setting off characters reacting rationally and then as a result of that end up uncovering the uh the more supernatural elements of the film in uh, the endless at least and now for a brief intermission if you've been enjoying this episode of daily horror habit please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform or leave us a review on itunes and thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode. Yeah, and if we can jump ahead to, uh, to The Endless for just a second, like, that's where it's really remarkable to me, because Resolution is really playing off of those two characters, and then there are other characters, but they're not really as directly involved uh, with the plot, even if they do know that something is going on, uh, in some cases. Uh, in The Endless, you're actually dealing with a bunch of characters who are all in the same place, all experiencing the same thing. And yet there are really compelling reasons why they can't actually, you know, explain or demystify what's going on. Like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when, uh, in The Endless, is when Justin is confronting, uh, I think it's Hal, the uh, cult leader kind of. Uh, he's confronting him about what's happening and he's kind of, he's admitting, he's like, you know, I don't want to believe this, but I do believe, I will concede something is happening out here. And he, he I think he says something like, can you put down the cult stuff for a second and just explain to me what is in the woods and there's this great moment where he's where uh, the leader is essentially like look I just, I'm trying to explain it to you and to myself in whatever way I can I am literally drawing a physics problem trying to explain it like how much more clear can it be and yet I can't explain what it is like you have to go find your answers 
And that to me was just so cool. It's like everybody really is trying to get to the bottom of this mystery. And it's just something that they can't put to words. And I think that's what strikes at the root of this film for me being, and both films being kind of like the ultimate manifestations of like cosmic horror, right? There's this being, this okay. entity that you want to explore and yet nobody can define it. And since it's undefinable, mm -hmm. undefinable, then it's going to be something different for everybody, no matter what the answers is, are that you find. And I love also just the idea that they're able to present this force in this potentially like a creature maybe, or just refer to it as a force, I suppose, since it never really manifests in anything, but they're able to present that in a way, in a cr multiple creative ways that still evoke the same sense of sort of dread. And I find that that dread is much more effective than like, okay, you gotta watch out. There's something at the bottom of the lake. There's something in the woods yeah. that's moving around, right? I mean, again, to it's, this filmmaking duo impressed me so much with both of these films because of the amount of restraint that they have. And even with The Endless, and clearly since Resolution, and then they did their other film, uh, Spring, I believe, in 2014 or 15 before this, even though they started to get notoriety and of course they had more a bigger budget, that same true essence of filmmaking that they had with Resolution, they explored that again without kind of even though they could potentially like shoot even higher for the stars as it were, it's this idea that they're still very true to their simplistic style of filmmaking and not sort of buying into a lot of the probably allure of, hey, we have a bigger budget. Let's do something bigger and crazier. They're able to expand on that story in a way that is equally interesting and the bigger budget is definitely more noticeable and yet they don't have they don't feel the need to like give us a giant tentacle monster or something to that extent you mm -hmm. know what i mean oh yeah it, it's interesting to see where they spent that budget because obviously the endless has a much bigger budget than uh than resolution i, I think the budget was actually something like three hundred thousand though which is pretty crazy for a movie like that like man what it look at what they accomplished with that but um it's telling that like the special effects that they use are for things that are mundane but slightly off you know, it's, it's birds like flying in the wrong direction in the background or like things kind of phasing in and out of its distance. It's like, like you said, they could have spent it on a more traditional kind of jump scare or like a big monster payoff. And they almost do at the end. You know, that, I'm, I'm not sure how you feel about the ending, but I, I've got mixed feelings about the ending of the end list. But uh, I do like it a lot more after seeing Resolution. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that they had, even with more money, they still kept that level of restraint. And I think that there's no better scene in the film that's an indication of they're able to kind of capture that that dread and that uh, tension in a way that doesn't require a lot of effects. And it's the magic trick when mm -hmm. Justin is at the campfire with the magician and the magician basically he tries to do a card trick, which Justin purposefully is like, that's not my card because he's like, I don't like any of these people. I don't want to be here. Uh, but then he does this baseball trick where the magician just takes a baseball perfectly normal and throws it in the air and puts his hand out and it just never falls. And yeah. it's such a simple scene, but the every additional second where the ball doesn't fall is so creepy to me, just because of mm -hmm. the implication of like, hey, yeah, there's something other, it's almost the first like seriously overt moment that, hey, there's something supernatural happening here, but there's no answer for anything. And then at the same time, that scene doesn't sort of like force Justin's hand to be like, you have to tell me what's going on here. Having some like super yeah. over the top dramatic moment, it's kind of like, this is the journey that we're on. And these characters are gonna to react to this in a way that is fairly, I think, normal in a sense. But at the same time, like they didn't have to have, I don't know, some some kind of like hand come out and grab the ball or something like that. Again, it's just very oh, no. simple and it's just as effective. If they had tried to make it any more complicated or more complex, I don't think it would have delivered the same, uh, it wouldn't have delivered the same sense of, uh, of fear in me at least, or wonder or intrigue. No, and in fact, that's that's them playing into their strengths again as uh, as writers and you know having good actors. Like you have this moment where, basically, the the fear of that moment isn't defined by what's happening; it's by what's not happening. You know, he's expecting this to fall, and he's literally looking like, this is this is the character that is still trying to, like he believes that there's something going on here and is trying as hard as he can not to acknowledge it. And another character is basically looking him in the eyes, saying like, okay, well, uh, where where's the ball then? Like they're just making eye contact, like. How are how are you not accepting what is going on right now? Like it's it's such a brilliant moment. Like it's it's so they're so good at writing things like that. I'm I'm curious to see where they're going to go now with things like Synchronic. Now that they actually have what looks like a more 
traditional movie. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what the budget is on that, but I'm assuming that's into the millions. Yeah, I would, I would assume it is just because of like the, they were, they actually got well-known actors this time around. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. with Resolution, I think both of the leads do a fantastic job, but they're relatively unknown, right? And to a certain extent, mm-hmm. Endless is the same thing. The only reason that the, the two directors are starring in the film is they wanted to cut cost when making the movie. And mm-hmm. even though that film has a bigger cast, obviously that's where more of the budget went to, but nobody in that cast is well-known or, or even known. And so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see, especially I always wonder when filmmakers start to get more notoriety and more uh, budget and things like that, when they start in these very small indie routes, when more, stu- when more money gets involved and more people are being brought on as producers, how does that affect the creative avenues and the freedom yeah. that you have? Obviously, I mean, that's not exactly a new musing, but I think that that is my interest with Synchronic in that I really want to see the final product of that and see like, hey, does this feel like a film that came from the guys that made The Endless? Or yes. is this just a new sci-fi film with a wacky concept, but it still kind of feels regimented by a lot of, uh, I guess, middle, middle-tier budgeted sci-fi movies? Yeah, no, uh, time will tell. Like, uh, we'll see what happens there, but I have the exact same fear. Like, some people are able to jump from that indie sphere where they have total creative control. And uh, some people, they end up having to compromise their vision a lot when other people get involved. So maybe it'll take them a couple movies to figure it out, but I really hope they're able to make something that has, you know, this unique feeling that uh, Resolution and Endless had. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I think one of the things that I was most impressed with this time on a rewatch of both films back to back is this the fact that these two films, obviously they had a much bigger vision for the endless at the, or for resolution probably at the time, but then due to their restrictions, they couldn't go off and make the endless right away because this movie came out, what, I think five years after that, but you can see the framework for the endless in resolution and the way that those two films complement one another is so impressive to me in the way that they're able to make it. Like I described <laughs> it as being a cinematic universe and that's because obviously it's the same world but even though in the endless they have more of a budget and they do lots of callbacks to resolution it never feels like they're beating you over the head with it right they're kind of like little detail moments that you could almost miss if you hadn't especially if you hadn't watched resolution uh recently and then you dive right into the endless like i completely missed the first time i watched the movie um the fact that like michael's wife is at the ufo cult grounds like yeah i completely missed Man. that the first time around and like this time i was like holy shit that's michael's wife and it's kind of like the fact that they're able to connect these two films in a way that doesn't feel ham-fisted it doesn't feel overtly forced it just complements one another is really fantastic yeah and at, so actually at the beginning i was starting to worry that it would feel a little bit forced because you do see so many references to you know, the gun nut tweaker living in the woods. And I was starting to roll my eyes thinking like, oh, yeah, I know, I, I get it. You guys made this other movie. But yeah, then they start rolling things out. Like, you know, the moment with uh, Mike's wife is really the kicker for me. Like, that's the one that changes what was a, like, a dark but open-ended ending to resolution and just turns it into something that is a complete nightmare. It's like, this is all of Mike's fears, all, like all of his absolute worst fears have come true in a way that he can't even comprehend. Because uh, so resolution is kind of it's unusual at the end because it does kind of take this this little turn into uh, into dream logic almost where like like I thought Mike started acting kind of irrational at the end like he starts to make these assumptions about what the intelligence is trying to tell him but then you know my interpretation at least is that by the end of the movie he's kind of remembering that this isn't his first time through the cycle you know he's he's been there multiple times and then by the time you see him in the endless he's been through the cycle so many times that he's picked up on what's going on. But his main fear, his main driving motivation at the end of Resolution is whatever happens to me, I can't let this come back and bring my wife into it. And then in The Endless, you find out that she has not only come looking for him, but she's kind of imprisoned in her own little hell, like at the end of the, the cult cycle. Absolutely, yeah. I think, yeah, I really want to dive into the uh, the ending of Resolution because I interpreted it a little differently, but I think that's kind of the beauty of that ending in that it is very much open to interpretation in a lot of ways. And I love how you don't get any concrete answers at the end of that movie. And that's part of, again, like the haunting nature of that ending, this idea that they're in this time loop and that force makes itself known. And then you kind of have that moment where Chris gets down on his knees in defeat. And then Michael looks up at it and I believe he says, uh, can we go again or can we try it another Mm -hmm. way? And so my interpretation of that was always, 
they were always aware of what was happening just because they have been clearly caught in that loop so many times. I almost felt to a certain degree that they were acting like they were putting on a play for the force uh -huh. almost where it was this idea where, yeah, we have to do these certain things in the certain order that we've already done them, but we're going to try something a little bit different this time because the way that he's able to flip the switch and he doesn't almost act all that surprised when the when the force shows up or the essence shows up and just kind mm -hmm. of towers over them and he's just like can we try again it's such an immediate response almost that i feel like he was knowledgeable of it and it's almost like they were putting on a facade for the audience the entire time oh that's an interesting interpretation because then or, or yeah yeah because then by the endless when uh you know his, his action is to just burn the house down and basically exit the film on his own terms it's like, I'm sick of playing along. I'm sick of being this actor. I'm just gonna leave the movie. Yeah, no, I, I like that interpretation a lot, actually. And that's why when, I, the first time I saw the film, I didn't feel the same way about that. But in revisiting it, when he burns down the house, at the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, it's kind of goofy. They'll just regenerate or whatever. Their loop will start again. Uh -huh. But now watching it, it's, again, it really ties into just how tragic that entire scenario is for everybody stuck in yeah. a loop. And you see the different types of loops that people are in. I mean, I think Mike said that his, or Michael said that his loop is 10 years, I believe. I think that's what they said at one point. The cult, I believe, was 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Oh, the cult was 10 years. Okay. But then you see people that have different loops. One of the guys that's like the walker, who's always trying to leave the cult compound. Yeah. He's got a three hour loop. And then like the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, that's kind of a dark comedy moment where the guy hangs himself and then he tries to shoot himself, but he keeps restarting. Mm -hmm. There's no breaking out of the loop. But then he, there's that moment where it's only a few seconds and he says something to the effect of like, it won't let me sleep, it won't let me dream. It just resets. Yeah. And so to go from that to the tweaker gun nut who eventually just like, they're lighting themselves on fire. But then you get to even the guy that's in the tent who has like a five or a 10 second loop. Like yeah, yeah. you get the full spectrum of tragedy that all of these people are living in. And the humor almost kind of makes it easier to stomach that kind of reality that somebody could be stuck in. Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking with, um, I think that was Shitty Carl, right? The guy with the three-hour loop. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he's kind of this this over-the-top, goofy character in a lot of ways, but that works so well in that, you know, like, you expect him to almost be, like, this kind of out-of-place comedy character. But then when he's sitting there breaking down, like, when he says, like you said, uh, I can't sleep, you know, like, that's when the reality of that sets in. And, yeah, this is a this is a horrible situation for a lot of these guys. And that's why I feel so bad for Mike's wife, because they never say what her loop is. She doesn't even seem to understand. Like, she doesn't, she tries to define how long she's been out there, and she just, she reaches for the words and she can't. But I kind of got the impression that, you know, the cult, they have this 10-year cycle. And you could argue that, like, even despite the death that they have to face at the end of it, it's maybe not so bad for them. Like, some of them might actually prefer to be in that loop. But she might be there on the last, like, two days, or, like, the last night of their party before all this happens. The ambiguity about when she arrives and whatnot, it really does, it makes it seem more tragic because it's like, I like how the cult plays the brothers against one another because they lure, it's not Justin, Aaron back to the cult with the sense of family, right? These people, they've all accepted their fate essentially. They all have this and they're having like the party and stuff. And so they're comfortable with their next step or the next reset mm -hmm. basically. And there is a solace in that that Justin and Aaron don't have, right? You see what their life is like once mm -hmm. they left the cult, and that's part of the drive that gets them to return to the cult and try to find some closure. But at the end of the day, like you refer to them as like the UFO death cult, but they have a sense of family and they've accepted their fate. Whereas, especially mm -hmm. like in Justin's character, he is very much the one that's like, I'm not going to conform to this idea that there is this monster or this being or something like that. And I mean, at the end of the day, there is a solace in having a family that is all happy and accepting their uh, their next step in life. Whereas with him, it's very, very uncertain. And that's probably more terrifying for him than whatever could be at the bottom of the lake. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, that's, that's one of his character aspects is he uh, needs to be in control of everything. And even though the movie, it ends on a happy note because, you know, in The Endless, they do manage to escape. It's, uh, it's not like they escape into any kind of definite life or victory, right? They just, they have a chance to maybe make things better, but who knows what they're gonna find outside of the cult. Yeah, I guess in terms of like the ending for this, I find that resolution as a whole is probably the more satisfying film for me. 
just because of I love mm. how it ends it begins so optimistically like oh I'm gonna go help my friend kick his drug habit I'm then I'm gonna go home and become a father and I've kind of like looking to the future and then it ends on such a dour note right it ends on the reality yeah. that hey man you're gonna you've been in this time loop and like this is the rest of your life and then the endless it kind of like they're starting out at a place where they have no hope or anything like that and then the film ends super optimistically so i don't know i feel like for these films as a whole in terms of like them being essentially a continuation to a certain extent of that world i don't know that the upbeat ending of the endless really works for me as it maybe was intended to just because i feel yeah. like for them to be the only two people that are able to escape a loop, it's kind of just bleeds too much in the idea like, yeah, the protagonists have to win at the end of the day kind of thing. Well, so that's exactly how it felt to me the first time I watched it. And that was my one standout complaint about The Endless was that the, uh, because it's not even just that it's a happy ending, there, there's almost a tonal shift. Like them, the, uh, the force that is so unknowable, you still don't see it directly, but it kind of does the, you know, the evil dead like pursuit shot and like it, it kind of it makes it a little bit too tangible for me and then and then they're they're basically at the end they're they're saying exactly what their motivations are you know like as a bro, as uh, Aaron's motivation is he just wants to have more choice in his life and Justin is just trying to protect him it's like they lay everything out a little bit too cleanly and that's how I felt the first time watching it but then after seeing resolution and seeing how like these guys did escape but the cost of what happened to all these other characters on the side is so great that it makes it feel a little bit more earned. Like they had, like so many people had to be sacrificed to basically show them that there is a way to even get out in the first place. That's part of what I love about the world building in these two movies. And I hope that they, that the Justin Aaron in the future when they make films, they try to do something somewhat similar in that having films complement one another because Again, if mm -hmm. I think more people have seen The Endless just because it came out on Netflix, and, it, and it, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously the audience that comes with that versus something like um, Resolution, which came out, and I believe it was probably relatively unknown outside of like the film, film awards and things like that, you know, or um, sure. the indie scene, basically. Um, but I think that the two films complement each other so well in that they establish these characters and they don't give you a ton of information about them, but the way that they are the the ramifications that create them essentially it ties into the main kind of tone and theme of the overall films so it makes even these somewhat simplistic characters like a wife that's searching her her missing husband it gives a lot more weight to that and that weight ultimately kind of ties into just the overall tone of the movie and how bleak and dour they can be yeah and i'm kind of hoping that they you know, as they get more success as filmmakers, as they, you know, have a larger budget, more, you know, more that they can do with their films, I'm hoping that they don't leave that kind of grounded approach that these movies have. Because like you're saying, the, uh, like the, the thing, the ways that these characters are suffering are so relatable. Like, you can kind of imagine what it would be like to be a, a guy trying to kick a drug habit chained to a wall for, you know, for a week for his whole life or for eternity. You know, like for some reason, that's that's a thing that you can picture because you know it, it it's not just like, oh, I'm being pursued by a cosmic force. It's like here's something actually tangible that's happening to me. You know, here's a wife who is looking for her husband, has now been estranged from her child, and is unable to sleep, like for eternity. I mean, again, these are things that you can kind of you can kind of picture because there's there's like a mundane aspect to how they're suffering. And yes, as they get bigger into more. Uh, you know, larger supernatural threats. I'm hoping they don't lose that, you know, that sense. Yeah, and I think, especially on this rewatch of uh, The Endless, I almost started to forget about the cosmic horror force that's there because, again, I'm focused on sort of, like you had described, the more mundane elements of what everybody wants in life. And it's mm. it makes it almost more tragic that the things that people are striving for are not these sort of like unattainable things, right? I mean, especially in Justin's case, he wants to control things more, but then we have Aaron who basically like is still fawning after this woman that he's had a crush on all of his life. And it's like that one thing that is, should be fairly attainable. It's realistic that he could attain that, but then to be told that something that is not that far-fetched is never going to be attainable makes it that much more tragic yeah. almost. Like, especially I think about um, Michael a lot in Resolution in that, he just wants to be a father and return to his wife and child, which 
normally is not an unattainable thing, but this idea that he's going to spend the rest of his life chasing something that should be obtainable, and yet he never will be able to, just makes it that much more yeah. heart. It makes that movie far more heartbreaking than what it begins as, which is, hey, my friend's a drug addict. I need to help him. <laughs> like, to a certain extent, you're like, yeah, I feel for that character. But by the end of the film, you're like, okay, both of those things, they should be able, should be within grasp, and yet they will always be two steps ahead of them. Just slightly outside of it, yeah. And, and I think that extends to all the characters in The Endless in a way that it, it didn't quite in Resolution. Like, um, most of the side characters in Resolution are a little bit more antagonistic uh, in different ways. But in The Endless, everybody seems to have their, you know, like they even mentioned it, everyone has their thing. You know, they have their gimmick. But in a way, there there is something lacking to all of it, right? Like the uh, cult leader, he has a physics problem that he's trying to solve that he'll never be able to solve. You know, he'll always be in this loop. He might get to the very end and then time's up and you have to start over. The, uh, you know, the beer maker, you don't see exactly what his problem is, but he has that scene when he's sitting around the campfire looking at the, you know, looking at his glass. I mean, he throws it out. Something's not exactly working out for him. Even the uh, the love interest for Aaron, I get this impression that because she, you know, she does take an interest in Aaron, but they do subtle things to show that it's not romantic from her side. I'm wondering if she wants to be like a mother or she wants to take care of him like a child and then she'll never she'll never be able to do that because she actually seems disappointed at the end when he leaves you know so she's she's missing something too like every single character has something that they're just not able to achieve and i think that yeah it would be a shame for these two directors to lose that right that human element in mm -hmm. a film that is inherently supernatural but again it's almost like if i was going to do a, a crude breakdown it's like 75 percent character driven and then the other 25% is like the supernatural moments that you need those kind of like to tie together the fact that this human the human condition that everybody is chasing on some level is completely unattainable um, but yeah and I think that I would agree also now that in thinking about it like resolution part of the rougher element to that film I think is that so many of the characters are antagonistic right I mean you've got those guys that are renting out the cabin basically, and then um, you have those two like tweakers that show up. Um, and then also, I was it just came to me, the real estate guy that shows up, he was in, he yeah. was in the endless as well, but I never understood the purpose of his character. Like he's standing around the campfire or he's standing, no, he's standing by a truck when Justin goes to run in the endless. He's like standing, oh, really? yeah, he's standing next to Ted or somebody, but I never understood the purpose of that character. Just he just shows up again, but I was like, "What is the larger purpose of his character?" Yeah, I I actually don't really know that one either. Yeah, that was just a random thing that just came to me. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel I like if it's an in joke between the guys. Like it could be like the shitty Carl thing. Like maybe it's just something that they only they get. Right. He'll pop up five movies later. But I do like how a majority of the characters, again, no matter how big or small their role is. They're all there to facilitate something. And all of those performances are super memorable, whether it's uh, like the Frenchman that's out in the RV, who's like oh, yeah. smoking this weird red weed basically. Um, but I love his character because he basically is there to kind of just facilitate this idea that there is more supernatural stuff going on than you anticipate for the, in terms of like yeah. the characters, but then also He's kind of like the one who's like, yeah, there's weird stuff happening, but I've come to peace with it, and so should you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a. He, I, I love that you you drop in this character who has been aware of the psycho aware of the supernatural elements, and has been trying to figure it out himself for way longer than these characters have. And it's like, well, that clearly isn't going to go anywhere. I love that conversation too because Justin is so immediate in his wanting answers without realizing, mm -hmm. like you had said, that guy has been there for, who knows, decades, potentially like, yeah, decades or a century or something. But that's why he's so mellow compared to Justin, who's so intense, I need answers now, I need them now. Mm -hmm. When the reality is, is that this guy has been there forever almost, and yet he still doesn't fully understand it himself. He just kind of has these very cryptic phrases that even if he breaks down the, I think, I forget if he describes it as like speaking in metaphors, but it's like, even if he spelled it out for you, would you accept the answers that you're given? And that's a big thing yeah, exactly. between um, between Ted and Justin in The Endless in that he's like, yeah, I could tell you, I could give you the answers, but you wouldn't believe them. You have to see it for yourself. And that is what mm -hmm. kind of like the dive into the lake uh, is all about at that one point. 
Yeah, Justin, I actually find a, a very fascinating character in Endless because he uh, he even admits when he's talking, uh, when, when they're having that conversation that he had seen, you know, some things as a kid that he couldn't explain. So in a way, I get the impression that he actually has been a believer the whole time. You know, he knows that there is something there. He knows it's bad. He can't explain what it is. And he actually has to make up a lie to explain why to get out of there. Like the lie that he comes up with is easier to accept or easier to explain than the truth of what he's seen. And and yeah, that, that ends up being his only way of, uh, of escaping. And I mean, that is, again, that's a very kind of grounded portrayal of what people in real life do, right? And I mean, it's to the point mm -hmm. that it's a trope in a lot of horror movies, right? You just talk away uh, a supernatural event or something that scares you, you just make up some bullshit excuse for why it happened or reasoning behind it. When, yeah, it must be the wind. Yeah, exactly. That So like the lie protects you almost from the truth of what's happening in that reality, mm -hmm. which we see a lot of characters uh, uh, struggle to accept themselves. But uh, that's an element that I think really, it's a strength of theirs and it almost becomes part of like their toolbox in filmmaking and of crafting their films because you see it in Resolution and you also see it in The Endless, obviously. But I mean, Michael is the same way and even Chris to a certain extent, like Michael talks away a lot of um, Chris's kind of like ramblings as being like meth psychosis. I think that's how he describes mm -hmm. it. When in reality, yeah, yeah. it's like, if you stopped trying to dispel a lot of the sort of strange things that are happening, you'd have all your answers in probably the first 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, and even even he, like his, uh, you know, his grounding element in the movie is is like his phone calls back to his wife, right? And he's lying about every single thing that he sees out there, right? Like he's making up a story that's easier to process. So yeah, that's a that's a common theme that they follow too. And that's also, um, you know, the movie starts with a uh, quote from Lovecraft, which, you know, gets me way into it because cosmic horror is so hard to do in movies. But if anybody can do it in a compelling way, then that movie is instantly worth watching uh, to me. And one of the elements of Lovecraft is, if you look at this thing too directly like if you try to understand it it will break you and the, the kind of difference between resolution and the endless is the two characters in resolution they do try to understand it you know they, they do watch the videotapes they do try to to figure out like how am i seeing what is in the future like how am i seeing these different outcomes like let's try to solve this problem and that, that's literally what uh mike is trying to do right he's trying to solve it in such a way that he can escape whereas uh justin and aaron they just say fuck it like they just get out of there like, there's no way to solve this. This thing's going to win. So you don't look back at it. You just run. Which is what I love about that flashback sequence from the end. Or it's not a flashback, but when you he discovers the cabin, when he goes out walking and he discovers their time loop and they basically say, like, don't ever bow to it. And they're kind of like yes. giving him tips on how to avoid uh, replicating their mistakes, which is, I mean, essentially like damns them to this hell that they're stuck in uh, forever. But yeah. I love that this film, I really don't think gets enough credit in terms of Again, we keep talking about like restraint, but the portrayal of cosmic horror and that it's not really about what the uh, what the presence looks like or what it can do yes. to you. It's more just about how how you inter how you deal with the reality that it exists and seeing how that mm -hmm. plays out between all these different people and how it differs. You have people that resist, you have people that give in, and you have people that almost seem like indifferent to it or just try to understand it in a way without being fearful of it. I think is very interesting and it's it's the smart way to approach a cosmic horror film when you don't have the biggest budget in the world i mean like you said i think this was, mm -hmm. movie had a three hundred thousand dollar budget or something like that but the fact that they're able to nail that element of cosmic horror on essentially a shoestring budget when then you see some films that try to do it with million dollar budgets and it's nowhere near as effective it never works because yeah. they highlight the elements of cosmic horror that are the least important sometimes yeah absolutely I know we're we're both fans of uh, of the lighthouse, for example, and that to me is a great example. Yeah, that's a great example of like when you try to use that big budget to directly show, you know, to, to describe the actual dimensions of whatever this horror is, you lose it. You know, you lose the actual fear of it. But indie films are able to do it. I was going to say effortlessly, but that's not true at all because how many have you know tried and failed? But they indie do indie films do it successfully in a way that I don't see like higher budget films actually do. Also, the the uh, hyper focusing on trying to describe and literally depict what the cosmic force is is in the face of it. It is going against the idea, the uh, the formation of like 
Lovecraftian horror, right? This idea that if you looked into it and stared into it, it would break you. So the fact that people try to do that for the audience in and of itself goes against the very idea of what cosmic horror sets out to achieve. For sure, yeah. Yeah, because it it leads you to actually put the pieces together yourself. And kind of like you said, like how you deal with it is, uh, or how you perceive it as part of the movie. And that's one of the elements of cosmic horror in general. Like you as an audience member are going to envision like the you know the little bit that you can perceive of it in a different way than anybody else who's watching it and i think that it's really interesting that they use the time loops to be leave them open to interpretation because it's it almost the time loops themselves almost replace the traditional monster right because it's like you and i both had said we both had different uh, interpretations of the ending of resolution and to me that ending is is scarier obviously when the less of a monster that you see or a force that you see your brain is going to start to create something that's ultimately scarier, which is like, Mm -hmm. that's true of a lot of horror movies. But at the same time, I love that the time loops themselves, they force people to look at the reality of a situation that you might think that you have a choice. It like challenges our perception of having choice and free will. This idea that you could be, uh, what was his name? Shitty Carl, where (laughs) Shitty Carl is trying all these different ways to escape and he gives himself the illusion that he might be able to escape, like, oh, maybe I'll try killing myself with a gun this time or something. But then you realize that losing that free will is ultimately scarier than any monster that's gonna try to eat you or grab you or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and that can actually be, you know, that can be kind of a motivating factor. Like, if I have no control over my life at all, well, maybe tricking myself into thinking that I can regain that control somehow by, you know, getting a gun or setting the house on fire, burning myself, like that can be the thing that's just keeping you going. And I think that there's no moment in the endless that's more heartbreaking than the guy, the time tent guy, where his time loop is like five seconds or something. And you see that once he sees that just, uh, I think it was Aaron, he sees staring in on him, he Mm -hmm. changes his, he changes his actions because when he's in that loop, he just keeps running into that corner trying to escape. And while he doesn't know that somebody's there initially, you see that he's not pivoting from what he's doing. He's just trying the same thing over and over and over, which, yeah. I mean, that's like the, uh, the in layman's terms, that's the definition of insanity, right? Trying the same thing over and over and expecting different uh, results. Yep. But then as soon as he sees Aaron is there, he changes his actions and he like runs towards him instead, which goes to show that he would just continue doing the same thing over and over for eternity unless Aaron showed up. And I think that that portrayal of just like hopelessness is far more effective than any kind of like literal depiction of a cosmic force that they could have shown. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and the implication that he actually is a little bit aware of his uh, his situation. You know, like he's seeing Aaron, he's actually remembering things from the loop before. So this is a guy who probably just woke up in his tent at one point like eventually came to realize he's in this five or seven second loop and then just started killing himself over and over again and is, is like dimly aware of, of what's happening to him and his, you know, his futility of trying to escape. Yeah, I'm really interested to see, obviously with uh, Synchronic, which just came out recently, whether they're able to apply a lot of this kind of core uh, stylistic toolbox kind of elements that they employed in both Resolution and The Endless. But I also want to go back and watch... Uh, their film Spring, which I understand is more oh, of yeah. like a body horror film. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. But in some ways, I'm actually a little bit more excited to see that than even Synchronic because it, it looks like it has that same kind of like, like there's a styling to this movie that, uh, you know, like we said, it, it's not actually very scary on the surface, like in terms of what happens. But because it is so mundane and normal for 90 percent of the time, that makes it more effective when you know these crazy kind of situations start happening. And from what, what I understand, Spring is a little bit more like that, uh, rather than being like outwardly horrific. And from seeing the trailer of Synchronic, it looks like it's it's going to be a little bit more like, you know, using camera angles and lighting that make it look more like a horror movie on the surface. So I wonder if that's going to undercut it a bit. That's a really great point in the way that they just portray their worlds in that, uh, to go back and use the word that you used, like mundane, right? There's nothing really, sty- I would say stylistically the way it's shot there's nothing particularly interesting about it but that mundaneness really Mm -hmm. allows the characters and their motivations and their desires and whatnot to really shine in a way that you can't be distracted from them especially in resolution whether it be intentional or a result of them having like no money to make that movie that really pays off in that the few moments that are kind of overtly supernatural 
they feel more shocking than they should be, right? I mean, that mm -hmm. moment when Mike wakes up to the knife dropping on the ground and then you see like there's these creepy etchings in the wall, that's the type of a, a scare that we've seen in countless movies, but the way in which the film is presented and the sparing use of moments like that, it just ends up being so much more effective. And I think that's why also the simplicity of the ending of Resolution where Mike just looks up at the, at the cosmic being and he's like, can we try again or something like that? I think that it's so simplistic. It's just a guy talking to something that we can't see. It ultimately, the simplicity of that whole construction and how even just something as simple as filming from a higher uh, angle to represent like a something towering over them, like it's so sparingly used in the way of presenting things that are supernatural that it ultimately just lands so much better for me than if they had done that throughout the movie. I mean, it would have been uh, played out by at that point. Yeah. Do you think, um, what do you think of the way humor is used in the movie? Because for me, it, it did in a couple of cases uh, undercut the horror, but there are a couple of parts that actually work really well for me. Like like one of my favorite moments in The Endless, the thing that made me laugh out loud, is the uh, the girl from the mental institution who's drawing, you know, she's she's kind of doing the, the typical like creepy uh, little kid drawing the ghost uh, kind of moment. And uh, I love when Justin and Aaron are about to leave and she gives him a gift and it's this, it's like a picture of the village with a giant looming monster over it. And Justin just takes and goes, oh, that's, uh, that's honest. <laughs> like that movie made me, that moment made me laugh out loud. That's a great one. Yeah, I like, um, <laughs> I, the scene that I also liked that I laughed out loud at with the humor was um, when they're lying in the bunk beds and I think they're talking about like the love, the potential like love interest, the girl that Aaron has a crush on. <laughs> and he's, he said something like, I forget. He said, she's like 20 years older than you or something. When you were a kid, you had mm -hmm. a crush on and all this. And he's like, the punchline is essentially, um, oh, are you redefining pedophilia or something like that? Cause she's a girl yeah, saying women can't be pedophiles. Yeah. Women's then. can't be pedophiles. Um, and then he's like, oh, are you redefining that? Like I laughed at that mostly because that seems like a stupid conversation that like two brothers would have with one another like oh, for sure. so goofy and yeah. it's just it's so out of left field but I feel that the humor is used to really develop that brotherly relationship in a way that mm -hmm. really works for me because you see those two characters and they're at their lowest at the beginning of the film and their relationship is very kind of antagonistic almost towards one another like to the point where uh, Justin or Aaron shaves a patch out of uh, Justin's head yeah. and he has to go to his deprogramming meeting with like this fucked up haircut um, <laughs> the humor for me was pretty sparingly used I thought but when it was used it was to strengthen sort of just the portrayal of a brotherly relationship yeah no that's a that's a good way to put it I guess uh, in, in a couple of cases and I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of any specific moments but it had uh, I've heard some people kind of refer to this as the Joss Whedon effect where like you want to you're kind of taking a shot, like a meta-aware shot at the movie, and it ends up weakening the actual threat of the movie. And, uh, you know, depending on the kind of tone of the movie that you're going for, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I guess one of the things that I, where that actually worked really well for me is there were a lot of references to things in the movie being culty. And I liked the, the awareness of that at the beginning, because, you know, Aaron and Justin are trying to argue over, like, is this a cult? Is it a commune? You know, is this something like incessant or like inherently bad. And uh, every time anything kind of culty happens, they actually call it out in the movie in a way that I thought was really funny. Like I think even the uh, the leader himself even kind of says like, oh, I know this sounds culty, right? I guess the, the only other thing I can think of is, uh, you know, there was another extremely clever moment uh, for me in the way that they tied the two films together. I love that the thing that they found at the bottom of the lake was a, it was a clip of, you know, Justin kind of painting this as a dangerous UFO cult like that that was his lie you know the thing that that damaged the cult a little bit but it's literally a scene from resolution in a way that is so clever because you know those those two actors I don't think they ever intended to be the main characters of a, of a follow-up movie to resolution but they are still playing the characters that they ended up being in this movie and then the implication is like that would have been about you know 10 years before uh, the endless takes place right so the fact that uh, Mike from Resolution is meeting them 10 years before means he has been in this loop for at least 10 years as time has progressed outside of the loop. So just, just one more way to you know doom uh, Chris and Mike. Absolutely, but I love that um, the way that they're able to, like you said, kind of use that scene 
that the implications of that don't become clear until you see the endless, but it just speaks to, again, how they're able to flesh out this world between two films. And yet, like I said earlier, I would bet most people have seen the endless, but haven't seen resolution. And it's not as if you're going to get a, a, I don't know, like an entirely new interpretation of the endless. If you watch resolution, you'll just gain more of an appreciation for it. Like it is a supplemental film for the endless but you should still see resolution uh, just for the merits on its own but i feel that that's very rare right sometimes if they make if people make these kind of oddball films that coexist between worlds typically one needs to be seen to appreciate the other one whereas with this it's almost like you don't have to but it just increases your um your understanding but just your enjoyment of the film's world and characters uh, as a whole yeah, for sure. Because, like you said, if people have seen The Endless uh, first, then they don't even know about the idea of the time loop until about maybe halfway through the movie. You know, it's it's just kind of dropping hints at it. And Resolution is really just looking at one of those time loops in greater and greater focus and letting you kind of ruminate on just how bad it would be uh, to be in the situation. And just in and just in thinking about like The Endless being an unofficial sequel, it's more of a continuation, obviously, of that world, but it avoids kind of like the Evil Dead problem where you go from Evil Dead 1 to Evil Dead 2 and Evil Dead 2 in a lot of ways feels like just a remake with a bigger budget and fleshing out things more so whereas with this it doesn't feel that it's just doing Resolution 2.0 it feels like it's expanding on that film in a way that oh, is is interesting not only like from a character perspective but from a world building perspective in the ways that they're not just returning to the well as it were of the types of like scares or the way that they're able to unsettle it does feel like an evolution in a new way in a in a way that makes the world seem bigger without losing the sort of like intimate touch and detail that uh made resolution so special yeah for sure do you uh, do you anticipate synchronic is going to tie directly into this universe um i'll be honest i know almost nothing about synchronic i haven't seen the trailer or read anything about it but I would bet my guess would be no. I don't think I don't believe that it will just because of. I mean, maybe there might be some little details that might be similar that connect the worlds, but I can't imagine that it would ever be a focal point just because of how much bigger the film is based on. Uh, I mean, Anthony Mackie is one of the leads in it, and yeah, who's the other uh, the other lead? Oh, I'm not sure. Okay, but I know uh, that I'm he's low on details in the movie too. Yeah, he's a uh, he's definitely a bigger a bigger star than they've had in their previous films as well. But it strikes me as difficult to believe that with the more money and the more talent involved, that they are able to take the same type of risks in terms of like fully fleshing out this weird oddball indie sci-fi horror films that they made that they will in this granted I'm fully, I'm fully down for whatever they make and it can be as weird as they want it to be. And I'm, and I'm there for it. I just, I find it difficult to believe that they would spend time connecting it to something that maybe a general audience has no idea even exists still. Yeah, you're probably right about that because even The Endless, I think probably is more successful than they um, they planned for it to be. And you could imagine that a lot of the audience for The Endless would have been, even if they hadn't seen Resolution, they would have been kind of following the same circles of uh, indie films as that. So it might make more sense to tie those two together than uh, you know this kind of jump into a bigger budget. It'd be interesting, though, to see if after with uh, with Synchronic, if they're able to the thing that they do next, not that I, I just did the thing that I hate where it's like as soon as somebody makes a movie, you're like, what's coming next? What are they going to do yeah, next? What's what's after this? What's after this? But it would be interesting if after Synchronic, they make something that is connected to that, because I would bet Synchronic is going to have a more general audience appeal to it. I'm sure it's going to be their similar brand of kind of weird sci fi horror mix but I have a feeling that it's going to appeal to a more general audience in a way that might open up them to make a sequel to that or an expanding of that universe, which I'd be interested to see because if not, I would hope that they would make it their next film and it would be something that is self-contained, but it, there's the possibility of expanding on it. Yeah, I would hope so because I think what's gonna happen is uh, if Synchronic is compelling in a really unique way, like. There, if it's anything like the endless resolution at all, there's nothing really out there like it. You know, it's it's pretty unique. So if people like it enough, and they want to find something similar, the first place they're probably going to go is seeing this free horror movie on Netflix. 
So hopefully it's going to get a lot of people to watch The Endless, maybe get some of those people to watch The Endless to watch Resolution, but at least bring them into that you know universe. So yeah, it could set up for another sequel later. Or potentially the next thing that they make, maybe they return to this same time loop universe and they get to highlight another small story because one of the yeah. most one of the most chilling shots in the endless for me is when they find the RV and then they get that brief glimpse from the hilltop and you just see all these different time pocket bubbles. And I mean, each one yeah. of those is a different story of trauma and tragedy and all of these different things that everybody is uh, is succumbing to in this area. And I mean there's potential there. You don't have to have Justin and Aaron be the protagonists again, obviously, but there are plenty of other stories out there that are being told that they seem to be pretty level-headed in like, hey, how much are we going to reference our other films or other elements from these universes? Like, they seem to have a pretty good grasp on doing that sparingly in a way that it doesn't feel overly ham-fisted. Of course, there's going to be one or two moments where you're like, okay, we get it. You made another movie. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think that they have a they are keen enough and they are their film IQ is of that, that they wouldn't kind of like succumb to that very sort of like easy, um, easy pitfall. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right about that. I would love to see, you know, after uh, they've, they've got some bigger projects lined up in the future, uh, if they, you know, maybe they kind of do what Guillermo del Toro does, right, where he does something commercial and then he's able to do something deeply personal after a while, like after he's able to finance that. So I'd love to see them return to something where they have full control. And I mean, since we're talking about these two guys, it's interesting that their next project is going to be Moon Knight for uh, the Marvel series. And I'm really interested to see how they're able to take their sort of like weird, kooky uh, sensibilities in filmmaking, how they're going to apply that to that. Because Moon Knight is one of those Marvel characters that I don't think a great deal of people are super familiar with. I mean, of course, you're going to have the hardcore fans know that character very well but i mean it's interesting to see if they're going to go for something sort of safe revolving around that character or if they're going to be given the creative freedom to really run wild with that character in a way that allows them to incorporate some of their really like off the beaten path uh story elements and things like that because there was a comic series that i just read of moon knight i can't remember it might have been jeff lemire who wrote it but it's all about how moon knight is trying to escape from a mental institution. He's trying to figure out whether mm. he's actually a mental patient or if there's some sort of like otherworldly struggle that's going on. And that seems like a car- a comic book arc that would be perfect for them because it's very strange and it challenges our perception of reality and the supernatural events that are happening. But I don't know how much creative freedom they're going to get with that. So it'll be interesting to see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna. It's hard to say because they're uh, they're wrestling with the uh, you know forces of Marvel, which. It's a, an, an unyielding supernatural force of its own, but then also trying to adapt a comic that's already been established. So, yeah, I hope that they're able to get some of their unique vision into it, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and I, it, no matter what they do next, like they've officially won me over with, uh, with Resolution and uh, The Endless. And I, I mean, I'm, gonna oh, prob- sure. I'm probably going to watch Spring this weekend and I'll probably get to Synchronic before the month is out. But, uh, hey, man, I had a blast talking about these two films with you. And, uh, yeah, me too. I know it was a, far, uh, a far-reaching far conversation over both films, but this was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad we were able to, uh, to do this. Absolutely, and I, uh, I look forward to hopefully having you on again in the future sometime. Yeah, for sure, man. And I just wanted to plug Matt's social accounts where you can check out his fantastic artwork from character and world-building concepts that'll really blow you away. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at MattPaintE. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next time.